Yeah. Hi. So, do you want me to say yo? Nah, I thought you were going to get me to say yo. So, this week... I will offend you if you don't say yo. Yo. (laughs) I'm kidding. This week on the Central Matters podcast, Jenny is talking to Chris Bonello from chrisbonello.com. Now... I've never met Chris, but apparently we won an award at the Autism Hero Awards the same year as he won his. So we we're I in this. I tried to forget the Autism Hero Awards as much as possible. It was not not that autism friendly. It was a bit loud, but yeah, we were all in the same room. And it, that's like calling World War Two a bit of a conflict. So now we're looking forward to listening to Chris Benello's podcast, and we'll get back to yeah. you and tell you what we think. Yeah. Yeah. We love a net and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here and today I am joined with Chris Bonello and he is from AutisticNotWeird.com um, Yes, hi Chris, how are you today? Uh, pretty good thanks, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. So I'm dead excited to talk to Chris because we've actually met but not met um, at the Autism Hero Awards, the, the year that we both won, um, but I don't think our paths crossed that night, so um, congratulations, and that was for a journalism award, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was cool. And you... I wasn't interested, you know, to share my past didn't cross, but there was so much going on that night, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was a great night, I absolutely loved it. It was really good. Um, so it's a shame our past didn't cross, but you've won numerous awards. You jacked everything in in 2015 to set up, I suppose, Autistic Not Weird. Um, is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, sort of. I left teaching. Uh, I used to be a primary school teacher. Uh, I left teaching in December 2014, and after four months of getting anxious and failing job interviews for a living, I decided that lifestyle wasn't really working out. So I am um, almost autistic, not, uh, not weird. Uh, having realized exactly how much good I wasn't doing for autistic people, now was no longer in teaching, no longer doing special ed and, uh, and all of that. I wasn't quite expecting it to take off in the way as it did, so it's um, uh, less than two years down the line, it's an actual literal job. I get to write stuff for the internet for a living and to uh, give talks here, there, and everywhere. I know so you've even been coming. Yeah, and you've even been to Australia. Oh yeah, uh, actually gave a talk at Sydney Opera House, and uh, even if you told me that one year ago now, I want to believe, uh, want to believe to that. But yeah, I can now call myself an international speaker. Wow, that's incredible. Really good and very, you know, a positive role model, I suppose, for other people on the spectrum. So let's, um, and I know that you like to play chess. um, And as I say, you've won a fair few awards. You've been a teacher. You had a late diagnosis, although could have had an early one if things were a bit different. So let's go back in time to childhood and, and how you knew or how your parents knew that you were different and how things developed for you. Okay, so... At the age of four, it was quite clear that I was de- uh, developing differently to other children. Like my uh, my play group uh, used to go to my parents and say things like, "Oh, Christopher doesn't play with the other children. He just sits under the table and eats the play-doh." And yeah. To be fair, play-doh does taste amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> I was then re- uh, referred to uh, to a psychologist of some sort who didn't diagnose me as autism because I didn't have severe learning difficulties. Bear in mind, this was 1989. Even Rain Man had been out less than a year. So, uh, so yeah, that was a bit of a missed opportunity there. was largely because, uh, as is often the case with adults who get diagnosis, these days, the main reason I think diagnosed as a child because we, was because we didn't know what autism was. At the age of 10, I was assessed, again, not autism, but to see why I was so far behind my peers, socially speaking, yet so uh, so proficient academically. And instead of autism, it, it listed all of the symptoms of Asperger's syndrome 
and labelled it as slightly odd personality. <laughs> That's literally the words printed in the report. Wow, okay. You wouldn't get away with that these days, would you? You wouldn't. The thing is, taking the positives from that, so when I tell people that story, I backed up with saying this, have you ever noticed that you've never met anyone who claims to be normal, box turned average, boring? I say that maybe it's just me who spent most of my life around teachers, but uh, everyone I know takes a level of pride in saying, oh, I'm a little bit weird, I'm slightly odd, but I'm the guy who literally has to write in from a professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I finally got the autumn diagnosis at the age of twenty-five. It's it was it, it was very um, it was extremely useful in the fact that it helped me to make peace with myself, and it's uh, it gave me the reassurance that I wasn't the wrong kind of person by not being like everyone else. And perhaps most importantly, it was uh, it was the moment to realise that all those years spent trying to chop off the autistic side of me and trying to check myself to be like other people. That wasn't fixing me, that was actively damaging me. Right. So I was able to stop doing that and uh, see myself who I was rather than who I wasn't. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've gone, you've, you've switched between Asperger's and autism and now the two no longer exist separately, do they? They exist as one. Well, not in America, but it, uh, Nottingham still has its own Asperger's specific units, and my diagnosis is always going to be Asperger's syndrome. But I think it's often a case of um, America's as the world catches the cold. It made the news that Asperger's was no longer diagnosed in America, so uh, everyone just assumes that it uh, doesn't exist anymore. Well, I know there are some areas where they don't diagnose it in the UK, it's oh, all yeah. under the one umbrella. Um, do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? Do you see them as separate? Or? Well, conflict. Conflicted at the time when Spurgeous was uh, declared out of existence or whatever, I saw it as a really bad idea because well, autism does manifest itself in different ways. And uh, uh, as much as I advocate for every autistic person, wherever they are on, on the spectrum, recognise that there are differences between my particular type of semi like and uh, that of those of the severely students who work with. So, I I think calling it all autism isn't a bad thing because it goes further than that. And I think we we serve better than just by level level two, level three. Yeah. So it's the uh, the new dilemma of realizing that Hans Asperger himself was perhaps a little less resistant to Nazi ideology than we previously believed. So now the debate is. If we were to recognise what we have, I suppose syndrome would be still called it. It's really difficult. Yeah, and I suppose when it comes down to it, it really doesn't matter what it's called, does it? It's it's more about how that looks for that individual and how that individual is going to um, manage themselves through their life in a world that is not often particularly friendly towards it and by friendly I don't mean mean I just not I mean not designed for yeah that, that is one rather mean lesson that I've learned uh, growing up another thing that I tell people during the talks the main reason that uh, well, say people like me but it's the majority of autistic people in general in my experience uh, one of the biggest if not the biggest reason we struggle is simply because the world is built with everyone else in mind Yes. And I only have a disorder because there's more of you than there are of me. Yes. If not 99% of the human population thought like me, guess who'd have a disorder? <laughs> guess who the meltdowns trying to cope in a world built with the other 99% in mind? Guess who would struggle to access the curriculum in schools? Guess who would feel overwhelmed by, uh, by the environment? And guess who'd be failing the job interviews? Yeah, so true. So, so true. So I want to pick up on your point where once you became diagnosed, it was kind of like a relief for you, an acceptance of who you were, a kind of green light just to be you, which was an incredibly kind of healthy mindset change for you, no doubt. But I'm interested in, you know, people, people often, how do you move from feeling uncomfortable with being seen as weird or different to then accepting that and allowing yourself to show? 
I can imagine giving a half an hour answer to, uh, to that one. <laughs> just, uh, trying to keep it uh, reasonable. I find striking similarities between the lifestyle I had at the age of 25, like single, unemployed, living with my parents and, and so on, to the lifestyle that I had at the age of 30, again, unemployed, single, living with parents and, and so on. But uh, back at 25, I used to tell the therapist I was a failure. And at the age of 30, I was exactly where I, want, I wanted to be in life. And the, uh, uh, I only just started autism, not, uh, not weird by that point, and I was, uh, I was uh, still kind of uh, waiting for it to take off. But the biggest difference between those two versions of me were at the age of 25, I was seeing myself buying the weaknesses, and at the age of 30, I was seeing myself buying the strengths. Back at the age of 25, the word autism was a synonym for everything that is wrong about me. <laughs> and at the, uh, the age of 30, uh, autism was just, well, yeah, that um, influences the majority of who I am. But the last time I checked, people in general have strengths and weaknesses. Being autistic just means you have enough specific strengths and enough specific weaknesses to follow the diagnostic criteria. So I shouldn't be defining myself by my weaknesses any more than non-autistic people should be defined by their weaknesses. Yeah, that makes total sense. So it's it's really a kind of mental process of shifting your mindset from that feeling of this is all bad to actually, no, hang on a minute, it's not, because we're all made up of the same kind of stuff, really. It's just to different levels. And a lot of it is what society essentially tells you to believe as well. Yeah. And um, uh, whether directly or very subtly... Uh, in the past to be uh, made to uh, feel like autism was uh, the weakness, it was everything that was wrong with me, uh, me and so on. But now I'm sur uh, surrounded by people who actually um, see me doing what I'm good at, appreciate me for, uh, for doing what I'm good at, and yeah, I still suck at various things. But Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not the defining thing about who I am anymore. But I was giving advice to uh, to uh, the young person earlier today, who uh, I'm going into all, all, all the details. But he's uh, questioning his reason for being. Like, what uh, what's uh, what's the point if I'm just going uh, going to have all these problems and so on? And one of the things I said to him was, "Is it truly you who does not like yourself? Does not like being autistic? Do, uh, doesn't like uh, all of this? Or?" Or is it just other people who are instructing you to be unhappy with being autistic? But either one is an acceptable answer. I know plenty of autistic people who uh, do not like being autistic, and that's outside the influence of uh, other people. Mm. And often, uh, be uh, because of other things associated with autism, like um, sensory difficulties, learning difficulties, and so on, it's I, I've grown to actually love being autistic, but I'm, I'm not going to disagree with those who who don't like being autistic. I think it's your autism and you have the right to feel whichever way you want about hmm. it. But that's the thing, it's whichever way you want to feel about it and not which one that's... Uh, not the attitude that other people around you are basically instructing you to have about yourself, especially if that instruction is negative. Yes, absolutely. So in terms of your autism, what does your autism look like? Hmm. <laughs> well, from my perspective, it seems completely normal. But... Uh, Am I supposed to feel weird? <laughs> I only feel abnormal when other people make me feel it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just sat here talking to you, fiddling with this uh, a Sonic the Hedgehog fi uh, fidget toy, which um, society tells me I should have grown out of at the age of 11, but, well, stuff that, because this is still awesome, even at the age of 33. Absolutely. But what does my awesome look, uh, look like? Well, it's, uh, well, jumps between being invisible and being, well, quirky. And uh, that's, the, uh, that's the public image. I talk quite openly about, uh, about anxiety issues and everything, but that's, it is very rarely seen in public. Mm -hmm. And that is a large part of the, uh, what people like to call high-functioning autistic, uh, autistic experience. It's uh, masking the, uh, the issues. It's hiding the things that are going wrong because... Uh, you may struggle socially, but you've clued up, up enough to know that um, it's a bad thing if other people see you struggling and you're not allowed to be struggling and people will look down on you if you're struggling and so on. So, uh, so yeah, I think... 
So you are you saying that you are you saying that you kind of <laughs> um, are you saying that you sort of mask? You know, you 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 still mask your public kind of persona when you're out doing talks and things. You you mask a lot and you have a lot of anxiety in the background. Um, these days, not so much because I'm in front of an audience who, well, the large part will already have read and stuff, so they'll already know half the stuff I'm hiding from them anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, I mask a lot less than I used to, but that's that isn't necessarily because the problems have become less of it, because I'm, generally speaking, hanging around with the people who are more likely to get them. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and do you have any of the other associated challenges, such as sensory processing, all those sorts of things? I'm fairly lucky in the uh, sensory processing department, as we said. I'm, uh, the only thing that's affecting me are loud noises, which I can't control. And it, rather interestingly, it's only a couple of years ago that I discovered this. If mum switches on the Hoover, I basically have to leave the house. <laughs> okay. But the music in my car is twice as loud. And when doing boys brigade or when uh, when as a teacher with the class uh, when appropriate the uh, the kids are twice as loud so how come i can cope with those but not the noise of the hoover well leaving aside the fact that the drone of the hoover is just awful anyway i think it's the knowledge that i get to control the volume of the noise in my car i can control the uh, the volume of boys brigade or school and, and so on but i don't get to control the uh, uh, the uh, the noise of the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, so I do sort of have sensory issues when it comes to sound, but it helps an awful lot when I know that it's within my control, because if I, it, just the knowledge is enough, the, the knowledge that I can turn it down for once helps me to tolerate some pretty loud noises. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so moving on to um, your career then, so you obviously despite what you're saying about school, did well enough to get into teacher training. Yeah. Um, so did you do that straight at the age of 18? Did you do the four-year um, four course or...? No, I did three years of maths at Newcastle and then tried to get, uh, get onto a teaching course, uh, didn't get on, in ISAT I wasn't ready for it anyway. Then I spent a year volunteering in the school and then after that did, uh, did the teaching course. Great. And then, so up until well, late 2014, you've been a teacher, a primary school teacher, and... Um... Teaching in LSA and special school as well. Yeah, okay. So was that, that, did that interest spark after you got your own diagnosis? Um, funny enough, I don't think it did. I mean, uh, going back to 2009, which is about half a year before someone told me for the first time, Grace and Autistic, I had a placement in a special school, and this was a, a special school that was quite specifically for uh, quite profoundly disabled uh, students. And I absolutely loved the atmosphere, because even though you, you, know, you had uh, children and teenagers with very comple uh, complex needs, and uh, often this manifests itself in, in behaviour and so on, the, the atmosphere was just so calm and caring and serene, and it was exactly what uh, what these students needed, and I just loved that uh, that kind of environment. Yeah. So a few years later, um, armed with my knowledge of being autistic, I uh, um that may have had an influence in me what uh, wanting to get the specific job which it did in special education, but uh, I liked special ed before I realised I was autistic. Yeah. Okay. And and from your experience of working in special ed, how well do they do in the main sweeping generalisation, I know, at um, catering for people with autism and supporting them and all those sorts of things? Because you see on social media lots of people complaining all the time. Is it fair? Is it unfair? Oh, that's... Um... Is that a can of worms? <laughs> It's impossible to answer that question without making it sound like you're uh, making sweeping ge uh, generalisations. Mm. I've, um, I've read presumably the same stories as you have about, about how some special schools are getting it wrong. I've worked in a special school which provided fantastically for its students right until the money ran out mm. and uh, 
Yeah, the school mysteriously found itself more than half a million pounds in deficits, and officially nobody knows how it happened. Right. But uh, then all the decisions became about the money rather than the data points, but sorry, I mean students. And, uh, uh, the, uh, these poor student, uh, students with uh, learning difficulties, often profound disabilities, who had nothing to do with the problem that the school got itself into, were, uh, were suffering the consequences of it, of it anyway. And I've, I've seen what happens to brilliant schools when the money runs out. Yeah. And these days, I give tuition for, uh, for children and teenagers who are outside the education system altogether. Sometimes uh, they're waiting for a special school placement. Sometimes mainstreams being unable to meet their needs. To be completely frank, the majority of the time they've just been bullied out of mainstream. Mm. So it involves people like me doing what I euphemistically call restorative work. Mm-hmm. So basically um, undoing the damage that's been do- uh, done to various students in their previous schools. So I, I can't give a, a cast iron answer as to how no. good special education is because it, it depends on the individual schools. It depends on management as well. Yeah. Hey, well, well, uh, I've been leading people since I was about four, uh, 14 in various different um, uh, based different contexts, and two of the most important experiences that I have that taught me about leadership was number one, growing up in the boys' brigade and being given responsibility for things because it taught me the value of being thrown outside comfort zone, and the other one was my my time towards the end of working at that special school because it taught me the real difference that a leader can make if you do a crap job at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always rather naively thought, uh, thought that, yeah, if your leader's fairly incompetent, then there's, then it, you, you can survive, because everyone else will uh, will pull together. And, yeah, it's not as simp- uh, simple as that. Uh, if you... If you... Um, if you don't have the students' interests at heart, then the it will influence even the most well-meaning staff that work under you and uh, unfortunately uh, negativity tri- uh, trickles down so yeah it, it not it doesn't just depend on the school and school's mm. philosophy unfortunately it also depends on the leadership team as well as to how good school can provide for its students absolutely and and going to mainstream then because a lot a lot of people um, on the spectrum are in mainstream and struggle in mainstream but are not able to or, or deemed right to be moved to a specialist school. Um, and many of them end up homeschooled, actually. Yeah. Um, but if you were to say to someone, you know, other, other teachers out there or other schools, what, what is the kind of three things that a mainstream school could do well that would in, include these people better, what would it be? Well, I imagine once I said what, uh, one of the answers would uh, would be, oh, we'd do that if it weren't for the funding. So let, let's for a moment pretend that the schools have all the funding to implement what uh, Okay, yeah. Uh, well, uh, the very first thing is actually having the attitude to care enough to provide for, uh, for autistic stu- uh, students. I mean, ev- every school will say we help each uh, students as individuals to achieve our potential, blah, blah, generic words. Yeah. But uh, actually, on a personal level, want to provide for, uh, for stu- uh, students with special needs. Don't just see them as a tick box uh, exercise. Don't just think, oh, yeah, we'd better do something. Otherwise, we might, be, uh, we might be complained about to the local authority. You've got to have a stronger motivation than that. Yeah. In- and so, so, yeah, my very first bit of advice and for the most part I'll be preaching to the choir but it's important enough to say anyway personally want the autistic children or children with special needs to succeed yep and number two listen to uh, to the students don't fall into the trap that I've uh, seen other schools fall into where you think uh, oh yeah well uh, this student has has an autism spectrum disorder which means uh, their perspective is different to everyone else so if other 29 kids in class think one thing and the autistic kid thinks another. The autistic kid's probably wrong. But no, but we need to take right and wrong out of the equation in that, that particular case because uh, often the autistic child is seeing it from a different perspective and that perspective, funnily enough, is just as real to them 
as other people's perspectives are real to them. Yes. So, yeah, if, a, uh, if a student uh, comes to you with, uh, with a concern, even if it's one of those silly little things, I, I tell teachers, by the way, especially primary school teachers, that uh, the autistic child in your class might uh, come up to you saying they're anxious about a silly, what, what you might see as a silly little thing, but take them seriously anyway, because I can absolutely guarantee in their case, what they're getting worried about is neither silly nor little. Mm-hmm. So, and after the uh, the event, you can uh, guide them to their own uh, guide them to their own conclusion in terms of okay, maybe this actually wasn't worth get, uh, getting so, uh, so worried about. Maybe it could have found it a different different way. So there's time and place for that, and it shouldn't be in the moment while the child is anxious. Yeah. If even if the threat isn't real. If the perception of the threat is real, then it's real. You should treat, yeah, to them in their brain is absolutely real. Yeah. So even if, from your perspective, it's a silly little thing, don't treat it like a silly little thing because they'll be perceptive enough to know that you don't take them seriously. Help them with it. Help them to recover. And if it really is a silly little thing, they uh, they will they may later be able to come to their own conclusion about how silly it was, but it will not feel silly at the time. So that's the second point, listen to, uh, to your students, mm-hmm. even if you don't personally agree with what they're saying because you don't have their perspective. Yeah. And uh, I suppose the third one would be um, personalising uh, the work as a teacher is the most time-consuming part of the job, but it means everything. Uh, personalising, by the way, uh, means adapting the activity in the lesson so that uh, people who think differently or those with high or low ability can access it better. Uh, it's most commonly seen as differentiation, like having more difficult questions for the more able children, having less difficult, and so on and so on. But personalization is something a little, uh, a little bit difficult. I often say that you could have a, an autistic child, a dyslexic child, and a child with no neurological differences whatsoever working at exactly the same uh, academic level, but to get three completely different sets of results based on how flexible you're prepared to be with your teaching. So yeah, even if it's really difficult and time consuming to adapt your activities with the autistic or dyslexic students in mind, do it anyway, because well, that is literally you providing for your students. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So on on your website, which for everyone that's listening is www.autisticnot. There's no www. Oh, is there not? No. I think it automatically redirects you, but no, WordPress didn't give choice in that. Okay. Autisticnotweird.com. Yes. So on there, and I've been delving delving about on there, and I was saying to Chris before we press record as well, that it's it's a very addictive site because it's incredibly... Impactful. The headlines of the articles grab you because they're kind of, well, I want to say shock tactics, but not. But it's not shock as in horrendous. It's shock as in, ooh, um, what's what's he going to say there? And then at the end of each article, curiosity rather than just general clickbait. Yes, exactly. As, as clickbait as much uh, as much as the next person. But if something's important enough to say, it is a. It deserves an attention-grabbing headline. Absolutely, and you're you're very good at attention-grabbing headlines. So, a few of the ones that um, grabbed my attention were um, now I can't remember the actual headline, but it was along the lines of um, parents damaging the five things. Well, uh, five ways to damage your autistic child without even knowing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, that that sounds the most like a clickbaity type, but I promise you, it was just the most suitable. I could come up with for it, and uh, that is by far the most read article on autisticnotweird.com. Is it? I was about to ask that, which is the most read. Yeah, it is literally, uh, literally that, and two reasons for that, but, uh, partly be, uh, because uh, partly because it's negative, and the negative stuff always gets the clicks. I try and be defiant in the, in not lowering myself to let's make this sound as horrible as possible. I'm aware that there are certain uh, bloggers or page owners who deliberately make it ne- uh, negative because they know their target audience. And it's a very cynical strategy, to be honest. But yeah. Some do it. But uh, the, uh, the other reason is because pe- uh, people, especially parents, do, uh, do wonder, am I doing, doing something wrong? Well. Am, I, am I actually screwing up my ch- uh, child without knowing and so on? 
so it's um it's a it's a bit of a gritty article and it's certainly not meant to give parents the impression that you're damaging your child and so on uh, so no. because, uh, I, I imagine well i'd hope in a lot of cases people are reading through a list of five and thinking ah yeah but they are five things that are important enough to need discussing such as not talking about your child as if they're not in the room like oh, oh it's okay he's non-verbal but yeah well uh, do his ears work yeah and yeah, there are plenty of, of cases where a non-verbal autistic child or teenager is uh, taught the means to communicate non-verbally, whether through AAC or, or, or whatever. And uh, the story is usually the same. I heard and understood everything. Yes. So yeah, that was, uh, that was important enough to be point number one on, the, uh, on that list of five. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's a, definitely a very good article and worth looking at it. And it, it makes you think, because I, you know, speak to a lot of parents and so many of them do say that raising a child with autism is really hard. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just that, you know, you've got some quite a nice way of putting it. Um, definitely worth a read. Um, the other one that I wanted to talk about was the why do aut autistic people struggle with inappropriate? Oh, yeah, that's... So that's give, me, give me a couple of snippets from that. So it's, it's an article where all of the pictures, because I point lots of pictures in, in articles for fairly obvious reasons. Yeah. But, uh, in this one, each of the picture, uh, pictures is a, um, a story from an autistic, not weird follower uh, who's telling stories about when they or their child haven't realised what's appropriate it is and isn't. And uh, some of them may be a little bit too inappropriate to, uh, to uh, mention here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, one of the ones I think of is uh, where... Uh, one, uh, one of the friends had a friend uh, coming up to her son who was about 12 at the time and paid him co uh, compliments and said, and, uh, wow, you're getting to be a big boy. And th uh, this boy could tell by the tone of the voice, okay, that's meant to be a compliment. So he responded, thanks, you're a big lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would it be any different? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Like that lit uh, literal thinking as well, isn't it? Oh, the taking things literally thing is real and it's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what about, give me some of your facts from your 50 Pretty Big Facts about Autism article. Um, yeah. If you can remember them, putting you on the well, spot now. Yeah, well, the, the one that people that, uh, seem to agree with the most is, I believe it's point number six, I'm, ju I'm just doing this from memory, it's three and a half years since I wrote it. But... <laughs> uh, but uh, Either number five or number six was uh, when you're autistic, a lot of things magically become your fault. Uh, for, uh, for example, uh, I have always struggled to read people, and that is seen as my fault because, well, I should have people skills to know how people work and, and so on, and I should be able to read them. Meanwhile, other people often find me difficult to read, and somehow that is also my fault. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's an unfortunate part of the autism experience. In fact, it's not exclusive to autism. It's just people who yeah. look or seem different to, uh, to other people. When uh, uh, when when people get nervous, they uh, blame the odd ones out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other facts that stood out on that for me, which I liked, was children with autism become adults with autism. Simple. Oh, yeah, that little inconvenient facts that people like to brush over. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, um, you know, they think it just disappears, but it doesn't. Um, and what was the other one that I was going to say? Oh, what was it? There was another fact. Oh, no, that was it. You've got one as well. Um, another article, uh, which is along these lines, really, what you're saying about it's your fault because you're difficult to read and it's your fault because you don't read people. So you've got another article which talks about when is autism used as an excuse and how do you identify that and how do you know? And that needs to be nipped in the bud, you say. So how, how yeah. would someone know that, though? It's tricky. Oh, that, that article has seen me get a lot of praise from the people who have read it and a lot of um, uh, 
well, criticism slash abuse from people who have read the title. And uh, one of the very early disclaimers uh, is that if you see the title of this article and rant in the comments about uh, how dare I assume that autumn is just an excuse, then I'll correctly assume that you didn't bother to read the article. Yeah. Because autumn isn't an excuse. No. I'm talking about the specific times where, for example, when I was working in, in a special school, uh, there was a ma uh, maths lesson with a, uh, a room of 10 students. I think, I think all 10 of them were on the autumn spectrum, as was I, and uh, the other adults in class suspected that she was as well. And the, uh, the, uh, this girl was, um, well, maybe she was, okay, she was finding the question a bit tricky, but it, it wasn't it wasn't devastatingly difficult. If she just focused, concentrate, you can get uh, you can get this, you just need to focus. But she uh, she came back with, oh, no, I can't do that. I have autism. I have sensory issues. And, no, what you have right now is an excuse. If your autism and your anxiety are genuinely stopping you from uh, from accessing the work, then yes, absolutely, talk uh, talk to uh, talk to us about it, and we will help you. Mm -hmm. But right now, she clearly wasn't impacted by anything relating to her autism. She uh, she was just looking for uh, for it sounds horrible saying this, but she was looking for excuses and. Uh, fair enough, teenagers, except the damaging thing about it was the fact that she was saying this in front of nine other autistic students who weren't using it as an excuse, yeah. and some of whom, in other math lessons, really were prevented from uh, from, uh, from completing uh, the work because of things relating to their autism. Yeah. Now, I get the feeling that had I known about autism from an early age, around the age of seven or eight, I would have very briefly started using it as an excuse. Oh no, sorry, I'm autistic. Before my parents would have metaphorically slapped the habit right out of me, <laughs> because they they, uh, they, uh, they would not have allowed me to uh, to uh, they, uh, they would have put it straight in my head that no, there are things that we choose and there are things we don't choose. Mm -hmm. And the things uh, the ways that your autism affects you, you don't get a choice in that. Yeah. What you get uh, get a choice in Chris is whether or not you refuse to do something and uh, pick on a neurological condition as an excuse for why you can't do it. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's it's rare that, generally speaking, autism is a genuine reason rather than excuse. And we, we spent far too many years having the opposite problem of people referring to their autism as a genuine reason but just not being believed. Yes. So it's all, yeah, it's the other way yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we can't afford to completely ignore the fact that occasionally you do uh, get uh, someone who says, oh, oh no, we can't do that, I'm autistic, thank you, uh, thank you very much. And for their sake, we, uh, we've got to help to address that kind of behaviour, otherwise they might grow up literally believing that you can play the autumn card at any time you, uh, you want, and then uh, just, uh, just get, out, uh, get out of it, which is... Not only damaging to them, it's damaging to the pe uh, people who uh, would never use the Watson as an excuse. Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And what about there's another one that because um, this is one of my my personal bugbears is everyone goes on about autism awareness, and you've got an article somewhere about how to really do autism. How to raise actual autism. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so tell me what inspired that. Um. I think having seen one too many uh, cancer awareness phrases like let's all turn our profile pictures black and white because cancer and what not actually encouraging people to raise money for cancer research or sharing stories about how uh, cancer has impacted them or their, uh, their family members but just saying it's for cancer and then magically everyone has to do it yeah and uh, uh, there was another one, uh, one as well. Oh yeah, the no makeup selfie. Yes. Cancer. <laughs> and, um, and the what the ice bucket challenge for? Uh, yeah. To, uh, to be fair, I think that one actually did raise a lot of money and awareness for ALS. Yes, so, it did. Yeah, it, it actually did. Uh, did a little good. But in each case, I'm wondering what percentage of people who did the uh, uh, the no makeup selfie actually donated money or time or effort to, uh, towards cancer related causes. And what percentage just did it because it was cool and everyone else was, uh, was doing it? And uh, I've seen a, 
couple of uh, things that are very similar, labelling themselves as autism awareness, whilst not actually making life any better for autistic people. Yeah. And uh, uh, just to be absolutely clear, I, I, not, I almost never use the words cancer and autism in the same paragraph because they're completely incompatible in the in slides, etc., etc. Except when it comes to raising awareness, no matter what the subject, you have um, you have uh, you have activism, and then you have what a former friend of mine called slacktivism, as in don't actually don't uh, don't donate money to cancer research, don't uh, don't spend time at local homeless shelter, uh, don't talk to your friends about how autism affects pe uh, people that you know or yourself, uh, just. Change the colour of your profile picture, and that's it. You have done your bit. So, in order to uh, to actually raise some real autism awareness, one uh, one thing to say, and bear in mind, I'm saying this as someone who writes for the internet for a living. Yeah. The most important sentence in that article is, if your autism awareness has no impact outside of the internet, it's had no impact. Yeah. If it, it, that's not to say don't do things over the internet, because if you do something over the internet and it changes someone's perception about their own autism or their relatives or their autism and so on, that's great if it spurs people, uh, people to action. If it, if it just changes the, uh, their perception, then it's had an impact. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't have any impact other than just what you do on a keyboard, then how has life been made better for an autistic person? Yeah. Yeah, see, my, my bugbear around it is, I think if you asked most of the people people in Britain, are you aware of autism, I think 90% would say yes. Oh, yeah, but, everyone has heard of autism. Yeah, but do they understand it? Do they, you know, think about it in their everyday interactions and rather than thinking, oh, that guy's weird or he's got an odd personality think oh well they could have autism you know do they it's the understanding and the acceptance of it which is more important to me and the willingness to be accommodating yes totally yeah um so yeah honestly everybody go visit chris's website and you will just lose yourself for hours in all these wonderful articles honestly i can't praise it enough it's just really attention grabbing i love it and i love your style of writing it just totally hooks you in so for you, for Autistic Not Weird, what, what's the dream, what's the goal, what's the ambition? Um, people keep asking me that and I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> um, it, it, keep, it keeps changing. I mean, uh, back in 2015, it was uh, just providing myself an opportunity to continue to help autistic people, particularly, particularly autistic young people at the time, having just left teaching. Then it, it was... Um, then I was very much struck by the responsibility that comes with talking about about autism. And, uh, if you just find out that your child, uh, child's autistic, obviously you type autism into Google. And it's our responsibility as a society to make sure that the first things that come up when you Google autism aren't uh, essentially hate speech against autistic uh, people, giving parents a reason to believe that their life is completely over and, yeah. and so on. And so, yeah, the, uh, these days it's... Uh, autism advocacy. I'm, I'm quite honoured in, in the fact that uh, enough people have found me worthy of uh, support that's thanks to this uh, website called Patreon I'm uh, able to do as a, as a living. I was able to uh, pack in this stock gap filing job I was doing and now I spend, uh, spend, spend the days at home working on the laptop doing uh, doing pretty much the same things I was doing before except with twice as much time as, uh, as I had and uh, helping twice as many people. In terms of where, uh, where I'm going next, A, keep doing what I'm doing because it seems to be working, don't change the winning formula. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, um, oh yeah, the, uh, there's the novel as well, which is uh, two months into its pre-order stage. Uh, do you know about Gorillas by any chance? Yes, I saw it. And yeah, so tell everyone about that. Okay, so Gorillas is a dystopian war, uh, war novel with uh, neurodiverse heroes where... Uh, Making it a short, uh, shortest account, the whole of Britain has been imprisoned in these giant walled citadels and uh, they're guarded by uh, millions of cloned soldiers and only 12 people uh, remain free in the abandoned countryside to try and free everyone else. And of those 12 people, eight of them are students who escaped the attack on their special school. So you've got uh, autistic students, students with ADHD, PDA, Down syndrome, yeah. dyslexia and so on. And 
you've got people who may, may be smart as hell in the battlefield, but uh, uh, some have uh, personal issues because, well, that's why happens when you're made to grow up thinking that you're inferior to everyone else, and uh, now they're the, uh, the only people who can free the society that put them at the bottom of the, of the, uh, of the social food chain. I, I think it was a very important uh, novel to write be, uh, because uh, representation of autism and disability is a, it was a very big thing right now, but we're we're still trying to fight our way past tokenism or um, relying on stereotypes and, and so on. And I'm hoping that, uh, as well as just being a, a, a an exciting war novel in itself, it might also change the uh, direction to more accurate and meaningful representation of uh, neurodiversity and autism, among other things. Yeah. So where, where can people buy that? Okay, so it's a website called Unbound. Okay. and. Uh, so it's unbound.com and then search for gorillas. Gorillas is spelled G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A-S. So yeah. two R's, two L's. Like guerrilla warfare sort of spelling yeah. rather than, yeah. Or just, or just go to um, uh, go to Autism Not, uh, Not Weird's Facebook page and there's a bunch of posts, uh, posts about on there. Or go to autismnotweird.com and uh, uh, there's links to it there. But yeah, it's on this uh, website called Unbound because that's the publishing company that, uh, that are doing it. And it's uh, it's a crowdfunding-based uh, uh, publisher. It's, it takes a very modernised, author-centric way of, of publishing, but it's on, well, at the time of this interview, 125% funded, which means it's definitely going to happen. In fact, later today, I'm expecting the, uh, the structural edit suggestions back from the, uh, the editor, and I'm told the... Uh, soul-crushing hopelessness that comes with that is just a natural part of the publication process. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be coming out fairly well, early-ish ne- uh, next year. Brilliant. Uh, if you want, uh, want to pre-order, um, you're welcome to do so now. It's uh, it's already had more copies pre-ordered than the average book sells in its first year, which is... Uh, wow. Quite, yeah, it's uh, quite, uh, quite an honour to be in that position, uh, position really. And so I think it speaks volumes about how much demand there is out there. Totally. For, for meaningful representation in fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you've you've got... Because one thing that we love about you and one of the many reasons why we wanted to talk to you is that this show is all about telling the positive stories of autism, being a, being a positive voice in that Google volume of negativity. Mm. Um, and you've got another book, haven't you, which is just oh, all yes. about positivity. So tell yeah, us about that I, one. I have this crazy idea where I... Sh- uh, the great thing about having a worldwide autism community is that loads of people jump on board with uh, the crazy ideas you have. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what if I went to loads and loads of autistic young people and asked them, what do you love most about life? Mm-hmm. So uh, half a year later, it was uh, published by a Kickstarter campaign, so this one was self-published. Mm-hmm. It's, it was, it's an anthology of 150 children and teenagers across the autism spectrum from 20 different countries around the world, all telling the reader what they love most about life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it it's very pictorial that uh, there are loads, uh, loads of uh, photos of, uh, of kids uh, saying or do, uh, doing what uh, what they love most about life, and it's beautifully colourful. I, t- I take no credit for the design because it was uh, actually a friend of mine who just happens to be a graphic designer for <laughs> for a living, and uh, obviously because the, uh, these kids and teenagers are autistic, you get some answers that are really insightful. You get some who have some that are very loving, some which are absolutely hilarious, some which are deeply insightful. And I felt that the, uh, the negative press has been somewhat saturated, as we've already discussed. But also, also can feel bloody isolating if you're the only autistic person you know. And this was me at the age of 25, so I'm quite happy that a, a lot of the reactions I've got to this book are young people reading us and thinking, it's not just me. I'm not the only autistic person in the world. No. Literally worldwide to, uh, and on on top of that, um, 150 reasons why life is awesome. Yes. Fantastic. Great. Love it. Well, it has been... uh, Sorry, should we edit this uh, this bit on at the end? Yeah, yeah. Go on. (laughs) And top of that, um, 150 reasons why life is awesome. Yes. So it's it's been a very rewarding uh, project to... uh, uh, to uh, uh, to produce and uh, for anyone who's interested in that, that's autismnotweird.com slash book. And yeah, those who are 
there's a lot of read events here, so I hope you love it. Yeah, you've got a link to it at the very top of your website, I think. Yes. Yeah, on the, in the menu at the top. Um, so fantastic well I won't keep you much longer I could talk to you honestly for hours and I wish I could meet you when I can't believe we met but didn't meet and I would love to like sit and talk to you for hours because there's so many brilliant articles that you've done um, I'm sure your book will be a great success and I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time out to chat to us okay thank you wow that was a good one wasn't it Slightly odd personality should be an official disorder and everyone in the world should be diagnosed with it. Yeah, that is a bit bizarre. But back in the olden days, you know, when there's people as old as me, <laughs> these things... You're are... a young bean. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I think I must be a similar age to Chris. You're a young bean. <laughs> I'm an old soul. You're... You, are, you are an old soul. You are just young in comparison to how old I am. So yeah, Chris is that's amazing. So he gave I'm secretly a seven hundred year old vampire. I get, I get. So he gave up work as a teacher, and Which goes kind of sucks. I'm pretty sure students would have loved having. Yeah, I bet he was an amazing teacher. Yeah. Um, so he goes around and he, he does talks, and he's actually spoken at the Sydney Opera House. Now that is incredible. He's... Um, I I could speak at the Sydney Opera House, but I don't think anyone could hear me because there'd probably be another, like, concert or something going on. Probably, but isn't that an incredible achievement it... to actually? talk about your experiences with autism at the Sydney Opera House. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So he's done that. Um, obviously wasn't diagnosed as a child because he just had a slightly like off personality disorder. Um, then went on to actually be, di be diagnosed as an adult. So yeah. Autism should be renamed slightly odd personality, <laughs> slightly personality disorder. Slightly yeah. personality um, Yeah. So he had some quirks as a child. I'm not... And those quirks were called being autistic, just a minor thing, not not anything to diagnose or anything. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed listening to Chris. And I hope that you enjoyed listening to us ramble on about this podcast. <laughs> we really enjoyed it though, didn't we? Yes. And I really wish that we got to meet Chris on the, on the day that the Autism Hero Awards were. But um, obviously... I'm just glad I remembered to put my glasses. Yes, hindsight is brilliant. So um, some things that are going on... Actual up... sight is also brilliant, so wear sight. your glasses. Yes. This has been our lesson to you. Re wear your glasses. Can I talk? Yeah. I need to get some stuff out. So, first off, have you entered our big bumper Christmas giveaway? You could win over £500 worth of stuff. If you haven't, then check out the Facebook page. All the details are on there. That's one thing. Um, next thing is... Ooh, what's the next thing? I can't even remember. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. We're going to have some amazing Advent promotions for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, see you again next time. And Pro don't forget, wear your glasses. Wear your glasses and we'll see you for another podcast. Wear your glasses what, you and don't... brush your teeth. Don't, don't, don't wear your teeth and brush your glasses. Though you should probably also do that too. What if you don't wear glasses? Wear your glasses anyway. Right, we'll see you next week for another podcast. Bye. Bye. Actually, reverse yo. Do, not, not, not bye. Bye is so passe. Reverse yo. The true ending to any video. You know what?